Welcome, one and all, to Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. Just actualizing my dreams. Lower Decks, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 306. Here all, trust nothing, comes to you now via Orion Multi-Key Tooth Remover. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Pete, over on our Patreon, we've been talking about multiple chimichangas of theories related to Deadpool 3. Now, listeners on the Pop Culture Podcast feed got one chimichanga for their listening pleasure. But uh, really, really enjoying the discussion and, uh, frankly, the mind-shattering, mind-blowing news in the last week about... uh, I guess, Pete, after this, I won't spoil it after this podcast, but... It'll be okay to spoil it, is to say, but after, you know, you know who coming to Deadpool 3. Had a ton of fun talking about that, both in the open for all listeners, and then a little bit more incentive for the people that want to peek behind patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Uh, meanwhile, on Friday, we had our She-Hulk uh, Friday discussion, this time for episode seven, uh, as the show is now entering its last two episodes of the season uh one assumes all sorts of appearances and goodies and so forth as well as uh, as the narrative reaches a boil that anti-penultimate offering there just two more to go yeah uh we're all dying to see what's been teased out and how it all ends uh, then yesterday, of course, we were talking Andor episode four, which makes us one third through that season. Boy, things are are going fast. And uh, I continue to enjoy the contrast between Star Wars and Star Trek uh, as these two are, are uh, part of our weekend podcast plans. Yeah, thank goodness they're dribbling out the rest of that Andor after we got the first three, now four done. And here to do Star Trek loaded with nostalgia uh last couple weeks here matt until they overlap with the second half of season one of star trek prodigy yes as i've said before though i'm not a huge prodigy fan i give them a ton of credit this first season of prodigy 20 episodes um and the first 10 have been released on paramount plus have uh made their way to nickelodeon they've finished the 10 now we're getting ready. This is the second half. This is the second 10 of season one that's coming out uh, later this month, right? Yes. So again, just this, you know, like, you know, Viacom, CB, or what used to be called that, Paramount has all these different things to feed and uh, Prodigy having a home for it, uh, as well as all these other shows. But let's turn our sensors now properly to this week's episode of Lower Decks. Program complete. Enter when ready. The Cerritos is supporting the Vancouver as the Karema contact is reopened. The Cerritos has goodwill items like booze, lots and lots of booze. Admiral Buenamigo is on the horn, ready to keep communications open. But change of plans, the Cerritos is taking the lead in negotiations. Carol, heal the scars after the Dominion War. And next stop, the rendezvous point. It's Deep Space Nine, that tacky fascist Cardassian eyesore. She needs time. Carol does, so Ransom has, oh goody, just the ship fly around the station. We're home. Let's circle again. With the Cerritos docked, Tendi wants to walk the promenade, maybe see a Quarks. Wait, the Quarks? 
Mariner says no big deal. She's already been snoozing with Jen. So will Mariner meet Jen's friends? Mariner is ready to tour the station now. Ugh, she's so worried about meeting the friends at their Hemingway-esque salon. Papa, just don't be bossy, Mariner, which she can be. Mariner goes to the hang sesh of ladies in sweats and t-shirts. Betazoid casual, despite Mariner being in her uniform. Who's ready to make candles with intentions? Mariner gets a drink, and the other ladies want to ask about hashtag sexy Boimler. Castro tells a tale about not being in the Enterprise, but t'was the Enterprise that was in her all along. Now let's welcome Mariner to speak her truth, but she defers, walls up. But when there's a power loss, and the candles are eating up the oxygen, and they're sealed in the room, Mariner still won't speak, but Jen wants her to be the true Mariner. So everyone shut up, and this is my phaser. Time to knock a few gals out. Crisis averted. Mariner and Jen smooch and stun themselves. On the station, Tendi, Rutherford, and Boimler see it's so Cardassian. They go to Ops where, squee, Kira is still in charge. She watches the ship exit as Freeman, Shax, and Ransom join. It's not Starfleet Command if they don't throw a few curveballs. She says while fiddling with the baseball, the baseball. Kira knows Shax, two old war buddies who bicker. The aliens board the station, ready to take down these alphas. And if diplomacy fails, one of them has a bomb vest. In Quarks, it's Quark, Lakewood, New Jersey's Armin Shimmerman, back to Star Trek. He's a resident entrepreneur with 21 franchises, but still humble. He's even got a Quarks Bar Quark 2000 replicator. Here, have a cubed glass. Boimler and crew enter, sitting next to Morn. Bold Boimler is ready to hit the Dabo table while Mesk the Orion comes over to say hi. Tendi is vague on her past and learns more about Ensign Mesk and his Orion multi-key, a traditional tool of Orion pirates. It's a lockpick, etc. Tour time. Boimler is so enthusiastic, but Tendi's not really talking about how her family feels about her being in Starfleet. Heck, she doesn't even steal ships. Meanwhile, the trade minister, Korzak, is upset that he's not meeting with Captain Wen. He pitches a fit, but wait, there are gifts? Gimme, gimme. Tendi and Rutherford are called to transfer the gifts, all while Boims is winning hard at Dabo. Let it ride. Back to Tendi and Rutherford, Musk is their security escort now. Hooray? Tendi finds all the pirate talk embarrassing, though it's claimed she's forgotten her past. Kira leads a tour or two, stopping at Quark's, that franchising genius. Will you talk about your business brains? He doesn't want to make a good impression on account of the Dominion War and the Karema not saving lives. There's yelling! Boimler triples down at Dabo, even as the A-plot argument bubbles over. The cheating nature of the Quark 2000 is shown, and the bomb vest device is thrown, shutting down the station. Quark is kidnapped and beamed out, but Boims gets Dabo. Tendi, Rutherford, and Musk are still on the ship as they jet out toward the wormhole. They're trapped. Mesk's pirating skills can save the day, but the thing is, he doesn't know how. He's a faker from Cincinnati, adopted by humans. But be the Ohio Mesk, and Tendi can do some pirating now. Syndicate life! She fights and smashes, pulling a platinum tooth like a champ. She uses the tooth to magnetically decouple the propulsion, and with that, the station tows the ship back. The batteries are in the brig, and they say that the Quark 2000 is a Karema Tech buffet. Quark was being arrested, but Freeman has a compromise. The mission is now a success. Free trade plus 76% of the Quark's franchise money going to the Karema. Also in Quark's are Mariner and Jen having a drink. 
Quark knows her, and she's got a copy of the hollow of Quark on Kira's body. Time to clear the tab, and Kira suspects trouble. Bold Boims is still winning, but wouldn't he like to swap all the latinum for a gift card at the gift shop? Sure, it's only money. Kira and Shax have mended fences, and Rutherford is so pleased that Tendi could be herself, and that she's embraced her past. Plus, she's still got the tooth, and Quark takes it. The end. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's return to, after 29 years, the Karema. Yeah, to have a species so involved uh, before the Dominion War, kind of paving the way to it, you know, Quark with the Tulaberry wine and the whole thing there. And uh, here, you know, you have them return. You've got Trade Minister Korzak, who uh, is number two, calls these Alpha Quadrant savages. How did they win the Dominion War? They have this Alpha contingency that they enact, but it all winds up being a misunderstanding because Quark is Quark. Yes, a misunderstanding. There's a certain degree of baddiness that maybe we are not that that we don't normally see in lower decks. I'm thinking like when there was the whole fight over the the people who love crystals and not wood and all that, and that kind of got to you know arena prison fight sort of stuff. But then it was like, oh, we we, we worked it all out. Whereas there's more malice here to the to the Karema. Um, so I think you know, and also in their actions stealing quark the whole run to the run to the wormhole and all that i don't know there's a little little extra edge here there is um and you can appreciate them bringing back not only in this deep space nine love letter you know the the people they could that we wanted to see and the setting of course but this other species we also have as a threat, at least to the status quo, the introduction of Jennifer's friends, uh, who on their own, I think, are, are nice enough, uh, an empowered group of uh, intelligent ladies and so forth. But clearly Mariner, the fish out of water as she enters that situation. The salon there, the Betazoid casual. Uh, yeah, she is going into the wolf's den um, and you know, that she takes it unto herself to behave herself. And then the Jennifer needs her to obviously boot, be who she always is. So she can uh, show her friends what's what. Now, Pete, are you aware that the original draft of this script um, merely had Mariner in the Jennifer's friends storyline and never touching Deep Space Nine? No, not at all. Yeah, uh, Tawny Newsom uh, is quoted, and this is on the Memory Alpha. I think originally it was an interview through Trek Movie or something like that. But basically, Tawny Newsom got on a Zoom with Mike McMahon and yelled at him and said, I'm a Trek fan. My character needs to get to Deep Space Nine in the Deep Space Nine episode. Uh, and he said, this is just a TV show. We don't kind of live to your wants and needs. Um, but apparently she then expressed her displeasure further and... Uh, Ultimately, an edit was made to deliver Mariner to Deep Space Nine by the end of the episode. Well, that's 
why actors frequently wind up producers and uh, have some pull. So uh, go Tawny Newsom because it was the right call. Uh, last major threat here is Mesk the Orion, who has his own little look in this in this funny show with a lot of fan service and a lot of look. There's the baseball and there's all the. He has his own little arc there. He's trying to be a guy who he isn't, but he wishes he was, and then he can't be when needed. It, it, it's just a lovely little arc there. <laughs> From Cincinnati, no less, uh, adopted and playing into the stereotype. Of course, it winds up all being manufactured. I, I love where he's gotten all his details, the hollow novels about Orion pirates, and that, of course... Tendi, who is sensitive to this stuff and, you know, even borderline ashamed, has that real background and lets it out. I think, too, it's a great opportunity for Tendi to save the day. You know, there's been conversation how all you fans, we heard you after season one and, you know, we, we we're going to give more attention to Rutherford and Tendi and so on and so forth. And for Tendi to save the day let's see, by my math, across all two or three storylines. Uh, certainly the, the, the D Space Nine storylines, um, Tendi saves the day and makes everything possible, ma- makes the solution possible and so forth. Uh, she's the real hero here because of her background. Yeah, and um, a character so unassuming and constantly positive, uh, total characterization within that it's it's not a new thing for her and to finally confront this you know i think we're in the middle of a a long-term tendy arc we'll talk about in the next segment Let's use those long-range sensors to scan for some theories. Uh, Pete, let's pick up where we left off. What is the the long-term Tendi arc? So initially, Mesk asks, you know, oh, hey, Tendi, Northern Hemisphere? Oh, we moved around. And she's always kind of been coy about her background. Uh, But in this episode that she tells us her dad is in the Orion Syndicate, will we see dad? or the family i think that would that would be a very heartfelt way to bring in action and characterization um and if this is a setup for that happening in the next uh the next four episodes all the better um particularly if they are trying to give more more attendee story stuff um one thinks back to last week which obviously was very heavy with uh rutherford secret backstory and rutherford you know kind of future story set up as well so if the the master plan was do some rutherford stuff do some tendy stuff uh to set up whatever's ahead then um you know we may we may be picking up on those clues as we enter the last third or so of the season admiral buen amigo matt espanol for good friend is he though uh, are you maybe proposing that he's the secret he's the secret guy uh, involved with Rutherford? Um, could he be under the sway of a bot bug? <laughs> um, Pete, I know 
on She-Hulk, we've been talking about how Marvel has has made these efforts to pull very deep into the roster to pull up whether it's D-level characters or say, you know, hey, the leader is going to be in the next Captain America movie. If Mike McMahon's Star Trek Lower Decks can resuscitate the the uh, conspiracy butt bug, which actually weren't butt bugs, they were more mouth bugs, but hey. Um, if he can resuscitate that, that would be impressive. And I will say, that episode, that con- episode Conspiracy from The Next Generation, it it stands up well enough on its own. Where it falls down is the fact that they never returned to it. And as we've discussed before, as many people know, that threat that's out there became the Borg because, you know, robot guys in black rubber are cheaper than, you know, more bug people and all of that. But if they're going to circle back in the world of animation to the the uh, alien parasites returning, that could be really, really fun. Yeah, and I think there's a little bit of space for that. It definitely felt like a vibe. Oh, we're going to move this other ship at the last minute. I mean, we get any clandestine uh, meetings for Carol Freeman here, I think we'll know it's really going down. Brown holes, Matt. Yeah, the episode makes it clear uh, when in space one must be careful of such things. Pete, I'm going to return I mean, to... brown dwarf is a real phenomenon, okay? Can you can you fault him for saying brown hole? Is is that the hint at the butt bug? Um, <laughs> or, or a joke that didn't get cut or didn't get caught or a line flub that I... I, I, I Maybe Pete, Pete, indeed, maybe, maybe that is proof of uh, the architect's plans for the the alien bug conspiracy here. Um, with four episodes to go to the end of the season, uh, Pete, I'm going to make it like a weekly theory check in. Any further advance, either from this episode or from you know sense of what what's left for the timeline, do we start to get the lower decks crossover? Um, I mean, I think there's no evidence of it from this week, but, you know, is it right around the corner? Is it the season finale? What are your thoughts? I maintain that's a Strange New Worlds thing that then will reach into season four, which we know is already under uh, production of uh, Lower Decks. Hmm. I'm just going to, I'm going to disagree. Here's what I'm going to imagine. You disagree all you want. We... We bring together the disparate threads of Rutherford's secret past. Let's say, for the sake of argument, it is Admiral Buenamigo. Um, let's say that there is butt bug conspiracy connected to that. Um, and that leads to a fever pitch in the season finale where, you know, time is running out. The warp core is about to go over. There's strange energies, whatever it is. And Mariner and Rutherford get caught in an explosion. Um, there's two ways this could go: get caught in an explosion and end up in the animated Strange New Worlds, or it could be pretty cool where it's like explosion, boom, and as the dust clears, they are in the they the live action actors are in the live action world of Strange New Worlds, um, and just treat it like there is no difference. We just went from animated to to live action, but we're not going to sit and go, "What? My hands are different." We're just going to play it as real. Uh, I'm saying that we have that to look forward to uh, between now and uh, 
October 27th, the season three finale. I don't know that the timing where they announced it was necessarily indicating a season three appearance, um, given that it was a Strange New Worlds joint and not a Lower Decks one. But we'll see. We'll see. Um, I'm first and foremost interested in how they do it. And then the faux outrage at it. I do know this. The Strange New Worlds portion was a Jonathan Frakes directed episode because Tony Newsom made reference to it it was all crazy. And then Jonathan Frakes is there, too. So these are these are these are the best of times in many, many ways. Pete, what other theories do you have and do any of them involve the baseball oh well definitely that you know the introduction of colonel kira here voiced by uh of course nana vister um this sad watch as she's seeing the wormhole open from benjamin cisco's office with the baseball on her desk um you know We've had speculation with Avery Brooks return some way, shape or form. I don't think you're luring him back for the cartoon. Still holding out hope. Maybe season three of Picard. Um, Time will tell on that. But I think given the flavor of Lower Decks, given everything that this episode needs to um, address on top of the normal lower decks formula in terms of getting you know quality kira stuff and uh quark stuff and and all of that the 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 special visit to deep space nine you don't have a lot of story time for the sadness but to just to introduce her looking out there i mean it, it was just the perfect the perfect tone for what it needed to be before the story kind of naturally continued you had already done the reverential parody of the uh, credit sequence um, with the slow circle. I was halfway hopeful they'd do the, uh, you know, later season credits and kind of speed it up a little bit and then have the Defiant going around and everything. But, you know, giving you that around the pylons, okay, love letter, all that. Um, you know, we get the double dip. Not only do we get uh, Nana here, we also get um, original Quark Armin Shimmerman of nearby Lakewood, New Jersey. Matt, staying humble. Yes, and apparently he recorded with the teeth in. I actually had no wondered way. that. <laughs> um, I, I actually would wonder, like, was it the full teeth? Because I mean, this way, the voice sounded ever so slightly different. That said, has time also gone on in these last 22 years? Sure. Zero complaint here. He said he had to record with the teeth in. That's part of the character. Uh, so, you know, this was an authentic uh, Colonel Kira in charge of D-Space 9. And Quark is somewhat laying low. Like, you know, it's not his weekly, you know, who can I... I'm going to communicate with anybody and everybody who might get me more money. He's he's settled into his own lane. Um, but he's up to no good as usual. So it was authentic to them while still being, you know, uh, a sensible Starfleet story and a sensible Lower Deck story. Yeah. Um, and then even a shout out there to Smiley, to O'Brien in the Mirror Universe. 
uh, evidently still considered uh, a threat and dangerous. <laughs> um, yes, one would hope that there will be more Mirror Universe stories or characters in the near future, just maybe not uh, Empress Philippa Giorgio. But I digress, Pete. That's that's for the Discovery podcast, I suppose. Is Beckett Mariner bossy? Oh, definitely. I don't know. I, I don't know that I see her that way with our core group of, of lower deckers. I think she's a pot stirrer. I think, you know, further. And, and again, why um, Tony Newsom was right to push back on, uh, you know, some inclusion on Deep Space Nine. And then, of course, that uh, both Quark and Kira are familiar with her. Um, you know, she's she's got the chops. Um, they will not always remain lower deckers. This season has made that as plain as ever. Um, and she's a take charge type of person, but I don't see her as necessarily bossy. I think how she pushed around uh, Boimler early on. Um... I mean, I, how about this way? M maybe bossy in a negative way. I would not say it's ne she's a, a negative bossy person. I think that she's she pushes those around her to do better. Sometimes the better is you know the bad things or or whatnot. But um, I think she's a positive force. Certainly, Batlefs are us on the promenade now. Pete, that just speaks to the Star Trek sense of diversity. You know what? There, there were times that maybe Klingons were were less welcome. No, no, not you, Klingon kiosk opera singer guy, but just in general, thinking your season four, Klingon troubles and so forth. But uh, with peace across the galaxy, yeah, you want to go for some great Batlefs, go to the place where many a Klingon story has been told. That's right, Deep Space Nine. We had... Nana, we had Armin, we got Morn, of course, voiced by the original actor. <laughs> it would have been nice if they brought back. I think his name is Mark Shepard. That's in my that's in my brain when math things are not. Um, it would have been nice if they got him to do something. I don't even know if he's still as he acting. Was, and so he forth. was voiced in this episode by the actual actor. He said nothing. Well, yeah, I mean, there's that too. <laughs> it would have been nice if they gave the Morn actor, something to do in this episode. Um, but uh, Pete, at least Morn has been consistently very talkative, just always off camera. Did you catch Dr. Ta'ana drinking out of her glass as a cat? <laughs> I absolutely did. Um, that's when I realized, hey, there's no Dr. Ta'ana in this episode in any substantive way. And I would have liked to see her in it, but she wasn't. And I don't think the story is lesser as a result. We get a mention of Garrick uh, tangentially, a tailor, but no appearance. I mean, that might have thrown it completely over the top. Yeah, I think that if you're going to have a normal Lower Decks episode, half hour, largely self-contained mission, things of that sort... Um, you st I mean, obviously, the, I would can only assume they reached out to people, you know, as story sketches are being put together, kind of, you know, vague story ideas 
reach out to Nana Visitor and Armin Shimmerman. Great, your game for it. Awesome. Now we can write to more specificity. It's probably a situation of here's all the people we could get. Here's all the characters that we could do. Here's all the characters that we could show, even if they're not voiced. Well, at what point does it just become a tour of D Space Nine, you know, that feels like some sort of DVD tack on special feature versus authentically using these characters in this story? Um, and again, in retrospect, obviously they're going to visit the person who's in charge of the station. Okay, Kira, that's that's easy enough. Um, to then, in retrospect, have a story that runs through Quark's, through Quark himself, through him playing both sides, all of that, you know, that then reinforces the need for Quark. Some of these other characters, you know, do we return one day? Sure, let's hope so. For some reason, we don't. I don't bemoan the fact that we haven't had you know, a Garrick uh, update or a Jake update or things of that sort. You know, this story was what it needed to be. Rutherford wanted to dangle his legs from the second story and have a heart to heart with a junior reporter was enough of a Jake call Jake-o. out. Jake go. Uh, yes. For me. Yeah. Um, Pete, it makes me think how I, and I believe you, we, we, we both never experienced uh, Star Trek, the experience in Las Vegas um which apparently at its height had a pretty good deep space nine section and is Um, immortalized in the elvis movie yes that is that is true that is true um why why not something like that again i mean probably it's because uh who are the major theme park players okay disney and universal probably neither of them particularly see a need to add a star trek attraction at this point and deal with the splitting of fees and licensing and all that but come on somewhere somewhere in this world can't somebody build star trek land to some degree because i think we'd all be game for it yeah i had a you know huge interest in trying to get to that i still haven't been to vegas at all um but yeah, I mean, as a place that hosts every year the the biggest convention, like how is there not a Quarks? Yeah, we we need that. Any other theories, Pete? Yeah, uh, how does the Ferengi waiter that's uh, trying to swindle uh, Bold Boimler with his uh, clutch coin purse not know that the Federation that Starfleet has no use for money? um a very fair question you want to i think you could work to explain it i.e um maybe most of the people who come into quarks to gamble are from the money end of things not the federation end of things or their federation people who have money you know again i think you, you can bend the story to explain it well enough or you can do less work and just say uh, they took a shortcut to get to uh, a punchline in a show that, you know, that that goes for punchlines and goes for haha moments. I'll take the joy, and I don't need to. I won't do any more work on the sad and woeful existence of waiter number two, who never read the books that told him that the Federation has no money. That Mask has a religious exemption for his Orion multi-key, you would think in the vein of Worf with the the sash there. I know there's a 
it's not a bandolier. I know there's another name for it. Um, you know, a, a cute way of introducing that so that Tendi can use it later on. Uh, yes. And I would, I, I would very, very much agree. Baldrick, I think it's called. Baldrick. There you go. Yeah. Um, I like that you're pointing out that they backtracked from, we need a save all device at the climax of the story. How are we going to get that into someone's hands and backtracked it to this very easy to understand thing, which is uniforms can be not so uniform, uh, when there are these religious exemptions, um, and we've seen it obviously with Worf in Seven Seasons, Next Generation, Four Seasons of Four, Five, Six, Seven, Four Seasons of Deep Space Nine, uh, the movies, and so forth. Uh, it did make me wonder, and it's been forever since I've seen the Ensign Row episode, but I remember being a kid when Ensign Row. You know, it's like, oh, she's coming, she's trouble. We're gonna have to, you know, uh, turn this square peg into a round hole. I remember like Riker giving her junk about wearing the wearing the. Uh, the Deep. earring and i think like in the next scene Worf is there and they're still like sit straight when you fly the ship there row and being like but but Worf has the thing like again maybe it was explained in the episode and i didn't catch it because i was nine or ten or whatever but um it, pete if nothing else religious exemptions to the uniform code of uniform wearing despite there being a trillion different active duty uniforms right now uh it, it all flies asked if Beckett Mariner is bossy. Is Bradward Boimler sexy? Uh, Pete, listen, if some of those ladies say so, who am I to disagree? I thought you were going to ask, is he is he bold? And it does make me wonder, you know, is bold Boimler an Icarus-type thing? Is there going to be some sort of event that brings him, uh, you know, that knocks him back down? Um because because the show has this tension that i know people uh i think we discussed a little bit last week you know some people are like give us the character growth um and others are like well no we kind of sort of need to reset to they're always going to be lower deckers and what does that tension look like and obviously this is a season that's that's exploring that a bit um by the end of the season, so I'll ask you as a question, Pete. By the end of the season, is Bold Boimler still here, or has he been too bold, and do we get a bit of a reset? I think that would be in keeping with the previous seasons of this show uh, to to knock him down. You know, you've got the Mariner storyline of being under Ransom's thumb and now having this potential lifeline with the archaeologist last week, um, does her potential departure function as the thing that could not elevate Boimler, but knock him down without her around? That'd be an interesting, uh, you know, divergence for both of them it would be with a view through the lens of this show but then you add the extra level of the strange new worlds crossover if tony newsom was upset that she couldn't i'm assuming they're all still recording at home although hopefully things are safe enough where you can record in the you know in the uh the studio and so forth but you know presumably tony newsom is upset that she can't sit in her closet and record lines about a character being on the ship versus lines for the character in deep space nine and and to her that's an important distinction there i can't imagine 
through whatever magic of storytelling i can't imagine it's going to be like oh but this is after mariner had just resigned from starfleet and was wearing you know um a brown sweater pant combination so uh when you're in live action you don't get a real uniform um so there's that layer too where she's got to be in uniform when they go to strange new worlds right yeah oh yeah with that pete let's open hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir to twitter we go pete where the question was if you had your first visit on d space nine where would you go uh 13 said ops 30 0.4% said Quarks. Pete, nobody said the view-in window. I have to admit, I'm a little surprised. I wouldn't mind going mm. to the view-in window. Um, to be fair, though, the last choice maybe uh, took over everything. Everything was the choice there. 56.5%. Some replies here. Tweeter at Law, K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 on Twitter. What an amazing episode. Uh, only thing to make it better would be a few more DS9 alumni, alums, uh, whatever. I loved it. At Snow Goggle says, best episode ever. 10 out of 10. No notes. Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC139 says, my goodness, what a fun episode. TNG had my heart, but DS9 had my soul. And what a treat it was to spend more time with Kira and Quark on Lower Decks, a show that has my funny bone. We even get a Morn sighting. The old adage, uh, adage leave, leave them wanting more, was certainly in play here. As I couldn't help but wish we had gotten even more guest stars, Bashir, Garrick, Ezri, Vic Fontaine. Come on, Mr. Mike McMahon. Uh, couldn't you have thrown us a few more bones? If wishes were horses and all that. The Kira Shack scenes were great, but how about a Bashir to Anna moment or a brief meeting of the minds between Ezri and Miglimo? I know I'm being greedy. These are all great pitches, by the way. Yeah. Uh, best episode of the season for me, and I would have loved a few more passes around the station to the tune of the great DS9 theme song, Bravo. Uh, next, Pete, we hear from uh, Ramon Urquiza, uh, who says on Twitter, uh, that's uh, R-A-U-R-Q-U-I-Z on Twitter, who says, uh, I voted wrong. You always put first the good, fourth the worst, and that was inverted. Um, but uh, star, 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 star for Lower Decks times Deep Space Nine episode. Um, so last but not least, Pete, the reply from Funnest Frontier that's at Dex Lower uh smiley emoji vulcan emoji as we see the gif there of uh of uh the cerritos flying around deep space nine thank you for writing in and pete thanks to everyone who supports us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek whether they're new uh new folks courtesy of the deadpool chimichangas or longtime supporters we couldn't do it without you Yes, everybody who goes to patreon.com slash fantastic geek uh, could have access to exclusive content. It takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Can't contribute this month. Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating in seconds or a review in just a little while longer to any of our 32 podcast feeds. Uh, only nine ratings for lower decks. Gotta pull that up a little bit. Pete, we are now halfway through our Golden Cup month of uh, three podcasts a weekend. Uh, and as we look ahead to the remaining four episodes of Lower Decks, how can people be in touch with you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at Peter, P I E T E R J K E T E L A A R, 12,750 followers. Can't be wrong. 
And while I'm personally on Twitter's Looking Back Lost, do be touch the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P and the H like it today. If you're listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we have She-Hulk Friday, Star Wars Saturday, Star Trek Sunday, and then next Monday, uh, that's Monday the 10th of October, we'll be talking the Marvel special presentation of Werewolf by Night on Disney+. Plus. If you're here just for Lower Decks, we'll be back next Star Trek Saturday for the next episode of Lower Decks. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Just keep circling. I wish I could kiss her and squeeze her. Excuse me?